It is essentially D&D. I don't know what else to tell you. It's it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just like it actually helps with the world bending mechanics, like world building, world building, world bending. So, yeah. All right, I think I'm doing the thing. You're you're doing this one first, right? I am. All right, sweet. Welcome back to class, everybody. Thank you for coming back to class. I am your cozy and freshly new dripped Professor Ricky. Yeah, it does look like completely new clothing, I must say. They are. uh, Yo, I'm Ethan. What's up? Yeah, so I'm going to the West Coast, and I realized that I've made it kind of known to uh, myself that I... Excuse- not- Wait, sorry. Yeah. You made it known to yourself. Yes, it's almost like a self-realization. I made it known to my- I made it known to myself. Gotcha. Yeah, thank you. That I my I don't dr- I don't really care too much about fashion ever. Really? Yeah, ever, ever. <laughs> but okay. I found it high time that I probably should start doing so and uh, well, well, hold on, hold on. I was going to say post-pandemic like drip is like like streetwear is just like sweatpants in jogger form and hoodies like you can look good in most casual settings by wearing stuff you would have vibed in for two years indoors like i'm really into it so like i start i went out and i bought a shit ton of clothes that are all just like like blank colored hoodies and a bunch of joggers and i'm just gonna start cycling through that all the time interesting so i'm just gonna like i'm gonna stroll into the office and hopefully this is okay no one's in there anyway (laughs) not maybe necessarily this but i got a a couple other things that look a little more professional with collars and stuff my god But, (laughs) but it is it is much more comfy than my old clothing used to be so I'm feeling comfortable as shit. I mean, I might even park it. Yeah, of course you're comfortable. You're wearing like the literal most comfortable type of, you know, clothing you can wear. Dude, the fucking logistics of this new look is just um, amazing. Amazing. (laughs) But speaking of logistics. Interesting. Thank you. We're going to talk about a show today that not only is it about logistics and bending the rules, we've been uh, kind of berated slightly in the Discord. If you, you can get in for Patreon doc, patreon.com slash ubology, $1 and up, into the Discord. And uh, w- apparently, like I said, on the sidebar, which you get in for $3 and up on patreon.com, oh well, double, yeah, <laughs> double plug, that, you know, it's high time we talked about this show. It's a very highly celebrated show. It is uh, what I would argue an isekai in the vein of Sword Art Online, you know, game-centric, but it actually utilizes the game mechanics in a way that makes for a compelling narrative like in some creative ways is almost underselling it because it's beyond creative in a couple areas so yeah it's the undisputed lord of the isekai i don't know if i'd say that though what's better uh shield hero slime no really silly i i I might make a case that it's up there with the greats but it's not necessarily better and i have a couple caveats but ethan would you like to do the honors um yeah sure we're gonna be talking about season one of log horizon today. yes yes now I've... it's it's a show that i watched like i binge essentially two two straight seasons okay uh like a couple months ago and we just never put together any type of uh 
circle back, but you had time to hit up a show that you liked in the past and just kind of wanted to rewatch. And I was like, perfect. Yes. So I, I did rewatch it like today. All like <laughs> eight hours of just absolute binge fest because I was also watching our friends a dog and we just sat there and watched Locked Horizon together. It was a lovely time. Um, but it's a show that it if you're a fan of like D&D or kind of MMORPGs, it's immediately an insta-sell. Like this, this shouldn't be a hard pitch for you guys because it is probably the staple child of using the tropes of like a D&D campaign or an MMORPG with high fantasy elements to bend the rules of those games that you know and love and subvert them in a way and explore the implications of what happens if those things not necessarily become real, but they have much more of a longstanding uh, presence in the world of the players that are in them. So I don't know. I, I don't want to use the word crunchy, but it is the only word I have for it. Crunchy makes it sound like it's a slog. But when I use the word crunchy, you and I both listen to some D&D podcasts. When I say crunchy, I mean it's really in the weeds on the mechanics. But the fact that it's in the weeds like that actually elevates this show above and beyond like all of the chaff, like beyond the wheat. Like we're going like to elite levels of storytelling and world building here. But it the reason why I say it's not up there with the greatest isekai, because I don't think it's for everybody. I don't think this show's for everybody. I literally don't give a fuck. That's fine. That's that fine. But I got uh, no that does not enter into my opinion as, as to whether it's like the masterpiece of isekais whatsoever interesting i think if you're too stupid to watch the show and enjoy <laughs> it like sorry i don't know what to tell you but some people some people need their uh they're just popcorn shit this is not popcorn shit you but gotta i don't think that makes and... this like this doesn't make this bad no, because these no. people don't have the brains to comprehend it the, the same way i feel like about the game of D. it's not for everybody that doesn't make it like any less of the poster child of tabletop gaming right like, not everyone would love D&D, but if you are about it, it's the one. Like, there is no other besides D&D, right? Um, but yeah, let's set the stage just a little bit to start, because there, there really is no way to start breaking down why this show is good without a little bit of setup. So what we have here is a very similar SAO setup, where you have a bunch of players in an online MMO, and... One day, the players that are logged in at that time, at the moment of midnight on a certain day, they are trapped, caught within this world. Very, like, yeah, very, like I said, very SAO, very kind of uh, game isekai. And they, they can't really escape this game, death or otherwise. And no one really knows why. So Right. So just right off the rip, though, like a major difference between SAO and this um Game, and it's important to make say. this distinction because these are the two they're kind of sitting in the same seat you know? right this game has been going on for a long time yes um, yeah so there there's you know been years and years of this game that's a good point it's a little yeah. bit like overlord in that regard where like Ooh, yeah 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 very far into the like let's just say product life cycle of this game there it is the maturity of it yeah like all of a sudden it becomes this like trapping situation right it, it really is kind of like a mixture between like overlord and sao in a lot of ways i think um very very like 
important though is that the main character is like a essentially a legendary player and it's not like um it's not like a, a bullshit beta pl- beta tester kind of scenario that's the key difference you know right? what i mean that, yeah that so the main character didn't have exclusive access prior this character much like an einzel ghoul basically right. was already the goat at the time there are a couple so the level cap in this game was 90 oh get that get that boy um, yeah, so the the level cap in this game was 90, so if you're a 90 level character, which there aren't, it's not rare, but it's not common, it's somewhere in the middle, that there are plenty of 90 level characters at the, at the level cap in this game, uh, but they're still rare enough to be a hot commodity, like, a guild with a squad of 90 levels is, like, a pretty rich thing to have, like, that's a really good thing to have, but you're right that this guy is the goat and is known in this game. So his uh, lore implication for the rest of the characters, people just knowing who he is from his, uh, from his esteem that right. his name precedes him, so to speak, his accolades. Yes. They travel far and wide. People know our main character, Shiro. And he honestly was so endearing and refreshing and watching it a second time. I got a new uh, fervor for a kind of character like this that, he takes a back seat in a lot of ways. He's that's what makes it different from both SAO and Overlord that the main character is not frontline bruisin. He is actively a behind the scenes what is known as an enchanter. They are a specialized class of people who buff their party and weaken the enemies. But he, Shiro specifically is known as a brilliant strategist and I think that comes from a mixture of raw intelligence and experience with the game so a lot of his opness as we've said in the past is very grounded here it feels right you know where kirito and sao feels a bit kludgy and einzel ghoul is fine but it also you know it still feels very op in a very traditional sense this one feels op but in a way that is commonly unexplored and i love that op is a support class very interesting. Right. Yeah, because yeah, Ainz is essentially just like a one-man wrecking crew. Mm-hmm. He really does not need any help, period. No, exactly. Um, and Shiro is very, very much kind of a different scenario where he, he likes to elevate people that should be elevated. Uh, you can tell that, you know, as far as like when raids and stuff like that happen, I don't know which season that was in, but they do a couple crazy raids. I know there's one in season two that's like a big deal, but uh, yeah, he's like you know, this big strategist. Um, and like, I think it just, I want to, I really want to talk about the botchery tea party. So I'm Let's just going to fucking rip it off, it. dude. Yeah. Um, anyway, but this show is from 2013. So spoiler warning, you're going to get spoilers you know. for season one. We're definitely going to do, cause I, I want to do an episode of season one, then season two, and then we should be primed for season three by that point. So I'm in for that. Um, but yeah, this, Shiro guy was one of a uh, collection of individuals that I didn't say party because that's very specific, but they're known as a debauchery tea party. And in this world of guilds and parties, uh, he was very against the idea. So this debauchery tea party, this collection of very high ranking individuals were pulling off raids and challenges that no one else was even daring to touch. And if they tried, nah, fam, that's not happening. Right, like, it, yeah. it's like um, it really in in this case is super MMO driven, where yeah, like every raid 
could potentially take like years to finish in a lot of cases. Yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I, I've never really played MMOs, so I don't really know. I guess I know on, only like based off of other like media and stuff like that. But it seems like some raids are just so ridiculously hard that you need to like plan trial all these different things like get the timings and stuff like that down i dabbled in well we all had the runescape days duh but well, I mean, yeah we're but... right but i also dabbled in the wow and like early college but i was no no feat was ever accomplished by myself no but i will say i understand at least a little bit where there were there were parties of individuals that would like spend weeks like researching and the best strategy for a singular goal um, the game that comes to mind in recent memory is Monster Hunter, where Monster Hunter, a certain battle could take 45 minutes of actual combat, but it could take you like days to like fight other monsters for resources to get certain weapons that are weak against certain big baddie monsters. It's that kind of element where the planning of everything is as engaging as the battle itself because of the research and the in-depthness of the ideas. And that's what this show is capitalizing on to the nines. Like, this show loves the idea of prep. If you aren't into the idea of a long narrative dump or exposition in favor of a goal achievement of your main characters, that's one of the, te- that's one of the tenets I think that if you're into that, this show is so you. If you're not into that, you may be into it, but it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's my initial. I, I, again, not calling it a knock, but I'm trying to support the idea that it isn't for everybody. The fact that the pacing can feel off for some and right for most, if that makes sense. The pacing felt awesome for me, but I don't think it's a pace that everyone would enjoy. Yeah, I mean, once again, like <laughs> you don't care, but it, it, I mean. This is like such a thinker show, and I think it is literally intended to be so from from the beginning, right? Like, yeah. the whole point of the show is that like all the rules we knew about the game originally do not apply anymore, and they're they're like subtly changing over the seasons. Okay, yes, and so that's like the main deal. But I did want to quickly go back to debauchery tea party. Go, like, go, go. they're this legendary party that would just like slosh all these insane raids, but they were like high level individuals from all across the game. And they would just come together to do these raids and then like these mythical class raids or whatever the fuck. And then they would split up again. It, it felt but, almost like what was the an, over, uh, an overlord? What was the party that Einzong Ghoul was part of? Remember uh, like all the high leveling individuals before they got transported to another world that they used to be players, but now they're not. They just stopped playing and Einzong Ghoul used all their weapons in that last battle in season one. I can't remember. Yeah, but uh, so there's some corollary here of a high level group doing absolute work and just causing tales and myth across the land in this in this game. So, but it's just like uh, I think it's important um, that our main character is like a legendary player. Yes, and yes. he has essentially like a let's just say tenuous alliance with all these other legendary players, so that when when like shit goes right for him, like essentially right off the rip as like a essentially an individual player. Yeah. It's not as weird as like Thank you. Do you know what I, I'm just trying yeah, no, to like set the stage to say that like everything makes total sense that this guy would be well connected to the effing nines. Yeah. Because him and like essentially all these other guild leaders 
um, were a part of this debauchery tea party, like mythical group. Right. So the there's a pretty cool moment um, where three of the old debauchery tea party members kind of like uh, joined up together. We'll get to those characters in a bit, but they just work together without communicating anything. And there's another character that's like, why the, f- how the fuck did they just pull that off? Yeah. And it's been, again, as an audience member, you're like, how did they pull that off? And you're like, oh, they used to be literally part of that legendary group together. Right. So you're a hundred percent right that all of his, from the combat to the bureaucracy, to the politics, it all goes right for him because his name is known. He's not a newbie to this world. He is well-established. He knows the politics. He knows the game. But he knows it as a game. And that is what makes this show, I think, in my opinion, go from great to legendary. Yeah, it's kind of like this this situation where every person let's just say that is stuck in this game still believes that the rules haven't changed right and there we are but it's kind of like through season one and and i think a lot of the parts that are really 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 stellar about it are the like essentially the lethargy that shows up in the middle for for i guess we should explain like different servers let's say in japan became like hubs for like uh players basically main cities of this game yes so and like they, you have akihabara where they're at and that's, then you that's have, the main character's home base right? right yeah but then there's like kyoto or whatever down below right and then yeah. one way up north yes yeah. so what's super interesting is that when the quote-unquote apocalypse happened happened and everyone was stuck inside the game certain things changed and it was very engaging to see a very experienced veteran who knew Every facet of the game's rules witness this particular isekai type change. So only someone like Shiro could understand, okay, this is, I know the game like the back of my hand, but he notices the changes because of his experience. He's one of the few that could witness these things and be like, huh, I understand that this changed in this way because I knew the rules prior. So all of his sudden brain blast Jimmy Neutron style didn't feel like ass poles. He right. would have been the guy. He would have been the one guy who would have known that, right? Especially as like the the vaunted strategist that he yes. is. Yes, yeah, he's already known to be a strategist in the game. Therefore, of all the individuals that were level ninety that were legendary, he would have been one of the few or the most likely to have known. That's interesting that that changed. How do we capitalize on that? And that's kind of where the show starts to go is that this character not only notices the changes of the world they're caught in, but then starts to capitalize on those changes. And that started to be the if you if you're into big brain plays, this show is up there with big brain plays. Right. dude. Like this. They're, and they're long running. Like there's a big brain play that's just like five episodes long. Right. It's beautifully done. So, but it's kind of cool because like we're pretty much kept in the dark for a lot of it as well, and none of it felt off, right? Right. Like once you're finally revealed, you're like, "Fuck, that makes so much you're sense, like, bro." That's actually that like, actually makes a total amount super of- smart. Yeah, you know? right. So I don't even know where to where to begin with exam. There's a litany of examples here, and I want to touch on them all because it's it's more that the world and its mechanics and the way that they are bent in the favor of the main character and the party as a whole is not only on center stage it's the only thing on the play 
It's the only thing. But the way they bend it time and time again remains engaging. It's, in, it's incredible the way that they really take a single aspect of like, what happens if an MMO becomes real and then goes down that path? Then another thing, they just pick up something else. Just like, let's go down that path. So I don't know necessarily where to start, but I think the smartest thing would be... Well, I did want to ask quickly, is it like SAO where when the apocalypse happens, everybody has to revert to their like actual phys- physicality? No, and we know that from the first couple episodes because remember... Akos- that- there was something with Akatsuki. Uh, yes, well, all three of them. Uh, Natsugu, Natsugu, is that his name? Natsuka. 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 Yeah, Natsuka, Shiro, and Akatsuki where uh, Natsuki basically was his exact height and weight, where Shiro made himself taller, and Akatsuki was, or is in college in real life, but she looks like an 11-year-old. So, are they, do they revert back to their physicality? No, but when they're in the game as a, as a human being or as a real entity, remember that uh, Shiro was tripping over himself in the first couple episodes because he's like, I made my character a bit taller than I am in real life. I'm not used to this body yet. Hmm. So he's like kind of fitting it, like wiggling into the new body, you know? Um, it's like uh, we actually, we knew somebody in high school who just like <laughs> randomly got really tall <laughs> and then just like couldn't handle almost life. Um, Holy shit. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> anyway that's no I don't, I don't care if that was a tangent i love that <laughs> but it's just kind of interesting because it's kind of similar like i think when people like say you're 511 your whole life and then all of a sudden you turn out to be 65 the next summer yeah. like it's very difficult to do the same things you used to do or I, like i remember in high school when i was in eighth grade i was like in high school my dad's like six foot i'm gonna be i'm gonna be six foot like my dad y'all see you all see no nah, i'd turn out like five nine on a good day yeah so. <laughs> i feel that so yeah yeah it's exactly or like a puppy who is growing up very like they're a big dog by breed and they're like by a 10 months they're like 70 pounds but they're still puppy brain so they're just like they don't realize how big they are and they just wobble around, you know. So wait, so what was up with Akatsuki? I thought there was like something specific about her early on. Um no, it's just that early on basically they find out that she's actually like college age and they're she's actually older than both Shiro and Natsuko. Really? Yeah. And that's what it was. And then Natsuko basically made a comment I thought like, they like didn't know she was a girl or something. Oh, okay. So early on, um, episode one, I'm talking. Yeah, yeah. Episode one, basically, she was like forced to drink a potion to become a man, and then Shiro gave her an uh, an alter back potion to turn her back into her typical form. If you remember that, and that's why she is indentured to him because she helped. She was helped by him to turn back into a normal form in the game, and then she's like, "Because you did that, I'm indentured to you as your ninja." You remember that? I, I, so she, she, her, her character in game was a dude, right? Her, her character in game was female, but for a particular mission, she was transformed with no way oh, back. Oh, so she just got fucking stuck. She got like, stuck mid-mission. as a man. Yeah. And then gotcha. she needed, she needed to find a very rare potion, an alter self potion to get back to her typical gotcha. form. And Shiro, being the high level boy he is, you know, he gave it to her, and then she's like, thank you for getting me back to what I typically look like in this game. Now I'll I'm, bang you for the rest of your I'll life. Now I'll try to bang you forever. I will say, just as a side tangent, it's not a huge point, but I do love the way that the, the like, 
etchy and the romance in this was very benign. It was very like middle middle of the road. You have like Marie, who's kind of like big Opie's truth chick, but like very middle of the road shit. And the romance between Shiro and Akatsuki was like kind of always there, but it wasn't like in your face or abrasive. It was always just kind of like, you know, they had like a thing and that's that's cool. That That's all you need, you know? Um, yeah, I don't know. I liked, I guess now that I am remembering this, I liked SAO's version where you like revert to your actual like physicality. Yeah. Because I think that's just like a more... Like, it's, a, uh, like, almost a more truthful, I guess, game. Because, like, these people that are stuck in this game, they're going to, like, obviously start getting together and stuff like that, right? Yes. But, like... It, I thought about this earlier today. It, like, for instance, like, later on in season one, Minori starts to love Shiro. He's like, the dude's 20-something. Yeah, like, right. You're, like, 10. There's no shot. <laughs> but she, like, like she has season a two with the sister shit. I d- Remember? With Row 2? Uh, SAO season two where oh, Kirito's oh, sister. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. not not this show, but the, I was the, like, what? I, I totally jumped genre. I yeah, jump yeah. shows. I feel I, it's all right. <laughs> but uh, yes, exactly that. Where basically you have like big beefers and big opies like just kind of slamming around together, and then they get in the real world. It's like, oh no, this is problematic. This is not okay. Right, <laughs> something like that. Um, but. Like overall, though, like like you're saying, like the romance is not overwhelming in any regard. Like it's not it's not the main point of the show at all. But it it it's, is it's a there enough. Where it's it's fun. like a fun undertone throughout yeah. the whole thing. Yeah, it, they they found a really nice balance here, and I think like you know if you're into that kind of whole uh, oh isekai romance, well they won't they the isekai romance is like a dime a dozen nowadays. This one's subtle. It's nice. You're gonna have a good time with it. So. I think it's important to also talk about maybe we can talk about the characters and kind of the log horizon party here, you know. I guess though, thinking about it, if they did have to revert to their physicality, then Nianta couldn't be a cat man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, or, good, or like good uh, segue, dude. Nazuna wouldn't be able to be yes. the like fox chick. Yeah, right. But exactly, right? So I I, I these characters are kind of interesting. Some hit a couple kind of miss for me just because they got a little annoying but well i think it's it's important to to say as well like this cast is massive it's one of those ones right right i think they manage it pretty well There's, i mean like every guild pro- probably has like one or two people you have to worry about it's very much then, like a soul society like you have a captain vice captain you always gotta it's care almost about. exactly like that to be honest right everyone's got their one who's the the chick the dude that's very good with the chicks uh shoujo or i think his name is shorter shoujiro yeah but has that like kind of uh cat eared or fox eared girl behind him all yeah, the time nazana, nazana yeah they so both tea partiers. uh yes yeah yeah so you know, you had that couplet for basically everybody. And there's like at least eight clans that matter in this show, maybe nine or 10 in this show, at least at season one. Um, so there, I think they managed them pretty well. There's a bit too much on their hands, but when you're building a world this big, I almost feel like that this is an inevitability. As long as you balance the, and you spin enough plates to keep the important ones in line, and keep them engaged in some way that I, I I'm okay with it. And I think the use of the debauchery tea party did a good job of this because anyone who mattered got basically told, Oh yeah, they're in the debauchery tea party. Right. So they may have, and if you saw the silhouettes of the tea party, there's like 13 or 14 people in that party. Yeah. I just think it was, it's, 
I, the best possible mechanism for a show to say like there's this legendary you know group that did all of the feats you could possibly do in this game right like remember Nianta and Shiro have like the the special Goliath whistle or whatever the fuck they get the griffins yeah the griffin yeah, yeah. whistle yeah it's like you had to do this insanely difficult you know thing and yeah, only yeah. people from the tea party have finished it they're like you you finished the Hades breath part, like raid yeah it's like yeah we did that a long time ago yeah we yeah. pretty much uh, did that day one and Natsugu was just like yeah we did that a long time ago no big fucking deal but it's just I, I don't know I think it's very very important that like a lot of the main main cast that know each other have known each other in the past so it's like it's like we're dropped into the middle of the game with them almost rather than like having to start off from scratch like SAO. From a character interaction perspective, I feel like it's close to Seven Deadly Sins where we knew about the sins at like accolades and everything prior and they came back together. Where in this show, it's very similar, right? That the only thing that's different is not the real world, but it's a virtual world, right? Where they, they, they already had their accolades, which aren't, immediately known but i love the way they did that scene with the griffins right because akatsuki was like how the fuck did you do that oh that was a thing we did a long time ago you've already established the fact that this party exists you were part of it and you had a illustrious history and rap sheet so these sudden like ass pulls of oh we just got griffins now that's that doesn't feel like an ass pole because right. everything was already established, and that's a brilliant narrative tool to use. That sh- that some shows like Seven Deadly Sins use very well early on. So I love the fact that they did that. I love that these characters are coming back, and that also well, it's means like, like like your your theory on Yami, where he already had his story, and now he's he already had his story, know, baby. He's part of Black Clover, and he's like really important, right? And it's the- just. This thing takes it one step further, though, is that when you're told, oh, this person was part of the debauchery tea party, you know they're goaded, right? Immediately, right? We haven't seen Shojiro do anything, but I already know he's a clapper. I don't have to see anything yet because I know I've seen a debauchery tea party members or any member at work. I, I know he was part of that party prior, so I know when push comes to shove, that guy's got that shit on lock. It's like seeing Yanta or like, like Shiro do their thing. I already know that he's going to be goaded. Yeah. So it's a great narrative tool. They don't have to do shit. They already showed me why they're good. So uh, immediately opens the door to other future characters in season two and beyond, which I think we'll talk about in a future episode, but um, certain characters, Nyanta thoughts. (laughs) Um, So he was another debauchery tea party. uh, Like, I guess main character. Um, he kind of plays as this like cat man. Oh, he's like, a cat a man. Super tall cat man. Big old furry boy. Uh, in the dub, he's got this like this smooth jazz type voice. Is he really? He's like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he he's got a similar voice in the sub. It's like, yeah. No, no, no. It's like deep. Um, it's it's deep for Japanese. I would say this is deep for like anyone <laughs> American. Any any human being. Um, um, and he's like really like. <laughs> smooth and sensual with his words he's a swashbuggler man that's his class he's basically a cat pirate right cat Uh, pirate um i mean i don't don't really have many other thoughts other than like he's just like i think he's a cool addition where it's like you know any honestly i like i like literally any of the debauchery tea party players yeah at first i thought i still kind of hold this opinion that 
and, and I wanted to use him as a lead into like one of the first major mechanic bending shit in this show that he was kind of brought in just to be a foil for that, where his only real contribution was that one fight in season one and the one mechanic bend information that he can provide Shiro. Um, but we'll get to that in a sec. Uh, now, now say, help me with this again. And Nyanta, no, not Nyanta. Now, uh, now, yeah. I don't know why that that one's hard for me to pronounce. I love him. He's yeah. the fucking best. I honestly think he might be my favorite character. He's like an open. He like literally openly will talk about panties to girl's face. Yeah. Like there's something weirdly refreshing about. He's not crude or crass. He doesn't say anything that's super off the wall. He just doesn't care who he says this kind of semi-lewd shit to. He'll say it to yeah. anybody. He's like, hey, you want to talk about panties? <laughs> like, ah, shit, dude. Like, yeah, why not? But he's the kind of character that's like, he's just like such a bright and cheery character. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's a lot of uh, situations throughout season one and, and, you know, into the future where a lot of the team is really down, but he like, picks it's, him back up he's always up yeah but he's like the he's like the tank with the taunt and all these like you know very tanky abilities to where like essentially the, the goal of tanks is to stay alive and just take all the heat and take yeah. all the heat yeah um and so it's i don't know it's like refreshing to have a character who's that role but also just like the most energetic and like emotionally available almost frankly because a lot of characters like that are very kind of beefy broody and, and broody and stoic and but like he's his the levity he brings juxtaposed with his tanky like build and demeanor is so kind of refreshing and the fact oh something i found that was super interesting is that with his his kind of whole character uh motif is that he thinks there are two types of men in the world, ones that are openly perverted and ones that are closetly perverted. And you know what? Fine, whatever you think. But there is the only big booba chick in this entire show. Her name is Marie, and she's kind of an ambassador for another guild called the Crescent Moon Alliance. Starts doting on him, and he doesn't know what to do with this shit. He's like, uh, get her off me. Uh, I don't want this. I don't want this at all. I was. I love that. I love the fact that he's just so openly like, hell yeah, I love pretty girls. I love hot chicks, blah, blah, blah. And when one starts finally doting on him, he doesn't know what to do with himself. Right. It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, Akatsuki's interesting. Yeah. No, I, I liked that right off the rip, he was able to call on like just two badass players. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Nautsuko was instantly like, yeah, let's hang out. Let's chill. Let's and then do it, when yeah. they finally do decide to make like a, a crew essentially, yeah. he like asked them and they're like, what took you so long? Like, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, we've it's been just, waiting for this shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Like both of them are just like such um, like staunch uh, supporters of like our main character who, who it, it does seem like he's got some complex about like having a crew right i think that's like really important it is plot line and i i I feel like that there was some event that happened and i don't know it quite or we don't know it quite yet yeah i mean i think it was definitely related to this konami chick or whatever her name was yeah Uh, Uh, what anime what other anime was just like that where was it kirito from sao where he he he's a solo player because he he was once in a party in a guild, and he couldn't protect that one chick during the beta phase, so he just like stopped being in guilds and stuff. Do you remember that flashback that he had in SAO Season 1 where he was in a party, 
couldn't protect his old chick and they all died and now he's like solo. I feel like something similar might be on Shiro's leisure somewhere, but we haven't seen it, at least from the season one perspective. Um, so, yeah, I I kind of maybe already understand why he's not big into parties or guilds, but we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, but I think it, it, it it's like a testament to his character that he realizes like, okay, the rules have changed here. I literally cannot do this alone. I can't be that like... Um, Essentially, they they can't continue to do the debauchery tea party recipe and make that work. That wouldn't work, right? There's um, something new here now. But yeah. it's kind of interesting. So, like, as a mechanic, the world, um, basically now there's, like, you can control areas, it seems like, as, like, sort of an additional addition to well, where, like, Akihabara, all the, all the clans and groups there, like, control it. But like they they decide they have to make this council in order to essentially stimulate the economy within this area because yeah. there's been like um you know like all the main top dog players obviously they don't have problems like finding guilds and doing things yeah they're the ghosts but so, there's like yeah. all these randos like just base level players right. that ended up like becoming lethargic and just like doing nothing um and it was just it's just kind of like an interesting idea of. It's kind of like what was cool about Realist Hero in season one where like you go to the city, everybody's like doing nothing and you know, you, you need to find stuff for them to do to like give them purpose. Right, it's, right, right. It's a lot like that where they have to like essentially form this group, uh, this council essentially with all the merchant guilds, all the big time guilds, and then, you know, with some notable um additions which is like shiro right because they all trust him yeah for sure as like the strategist yeah to like come together and be like all right akihabara is a freaking disaster zone because, <laughs> this is a disaster because land. nobody's doing anything you know all this stuff so they like come together and like form this like almost democratic ish government yeah and then they juxtapose that with like others other like little towns or cities or whatever across the map where it's like one level 90 player was there at the time, so he just takes over. Yeah, right. It's right? just his, and, it's and, his area now. Yeah, and yeah. he'll just like fucking PK you the second you walk outside the city walls. So let's let's talk a bit about how these rules have been and how they and how Shiro and the crew actually utilize that. Because I think the first thing we need to talk about, and I, I thought this was absolutely fucking brilliant, was the food. The food. And in the past... I've been called out in the Discord because I got I didn't give this particular, you know, aspect of the of the show its due diligence because we weren't talking about it at the time. So in this world, there are now actual human beings, players called adventurers, living in it. And the like you said, the rules have changed. What prior used to happen use the command menu for everything. And we saw early on, actually, in the season, how the command menu doesn't fucking work anymore now that you're a real human being in this world. You have to, like... It's a mixture of you having the right level, stats, and attacks, but then you have to do it by feeling, right? We saw that Naotsugu basically was, like, told by Shiro, hey, don't go into your menu to do your shield strike. Just feel it. You already have the level, and you have the attack on deck. Just feel it and do the motion. Okay, I'm gonna do that. And boom, they got it done. And this goes way further, way further than just that. And the food aspect was interesting because from the rip, they were they were eating food, they're making food from the menu, they're conjuring up, and it tasted like nothing. 
at all. But weirdly enough, the individual ingredients, sugar, pepper, uh, salt, uh, fruits and vegetables, basic things you don't cook, tasted fine. So interestingly enough, it came to reason very simply with Nyanta's help that if you have the high enough cooking level and the right ingredients and you do it with your own hands, not the menu, you can make food taste like it always should have tasted. And it turns out that's a pretty fucking hot commodity in this world because no one knows this information. How interesting. What a little tidbit of info that no one else knows leveraged itself as a huge chess piece on this political and economic chessboard, right? I don't know if you felt the same. It's, that was one of the most brilliant examples of that. It's just this little tiny bit of information. I think it's just, um, I think the cool part about it is probably not what you or Sky believe is a cool part about it. Um, <laughs> you remember that, that Sky was the yeah, one? Yeah, I just think it's very interesting that it's like in games, obviously, using your menu to make, you know, craft stuff and make food. Think Breath of the Wild. Yeah, literally right. just something grab a bunch like that. Of shit. Like yeah. it feels obviously like that, that mechanic is there because you can't physically do it. Right. But then now that you are like an actual, you're essentially the same type of person as an NPC. Yeah. Right. Like people of the land. Right. But I mean, like you're literally like have to use your hands and stuff to attack now. You're not using the command menu to do that. Right. Right. So right. it's like it, it does follow like as a mechanic shift. I think it's very, very um, clever to, to essentially be like, yes, all the things that you used to do to, to sustain your life in game, you now have to like do them. You can't just like menu them up. You can, but that there's two things there. One, it goes back to what you said. Everyone still thinks of it like a game. Right. It, there is a perception shift that needed to happen, but that perception shift of the few gave them bargaining chips to further their ends in this game, which is interesting. Not everyone was willing to or had the ability to understand hey, this isn't a game anymore, guys. We got to do the thing, but there's still game elements to it. Like you still have stats, have levels, have abilities, but those things are enacted through human hand and touch. And the other thing about that, which is really curious, is that you still can do the game shit, right? But there's a human element of necessity now, of, of basically uh, quality of life that never existed before. You were just a character making these things to the menu, you can still do and be sustained on that food, but it tastes like trash, right? There's an interweaving of, yes, you could get by the way the game used to do it, but it's not just a game anymore. It's a human being now in the driver's seat. So you may be able to make a bowl of curry, just like the game used to have, and eat it and hate it because it has no fucking taste. It's essentially a it's pixels. Uh, it's a tub. It's a tub of oatmeal, essentially. It's literally like pixels, though. Yeah, right. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. I I just read this book series a little while ago. There's only two, two uh, installments so far. Was but this it's the called... metaverse one? Huh? Was this the metaverse one you were talking about a while no, ago? No, no, no. Okay. That one's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called the Ripple System. The Ripple System. And basically, the idea is there's this brand new MMO RPG, but essentially they found out some way to like essentially vr you into the game so much so like via these pods yeah that you like literally are the character wow and so um like essentially right off the rip it, it's like the food situation is interesting it's like you, you could pick mushrooms and eat them 
And, like, for some unknown reason, instead of, like, normal games where they'd be, like, you know, plus 12 health or whatever, it's, like, that was so fucking good. I want some more kind of thing. Or, like, you drink water and you just, like, feel so refreshed that you, like, want to finish the whole thing. So your health increase is an actual, like, a physical ex- experience rather than well, just like a you're, bar. you're actually experiencing. Like, this game is so advanced. Like, yeah, you, yeah. Sm- you actually smell things. You actually experience the taste, kind of thing, right? So you, but so instead of the, your health bar going up, you feel physically better, right? By having that, and it's like that's uh, cool. Like you know how, um, let's just say like GTA, when you drink something, there's like that little, uh, you know, cool down thing, or the, you, the time bar, yeah, like yeah. How how long it takes you to drink it? Sure. Like you just you like it so much that you do that time bar. So you're just compelled to do it yeah, rather yeah, than seeing like, it. You just enjoy huh. it. Um, but it's just kind of an interesting idea. Like, I think like these type of like super advanced MMO RPG storylines or lit RPG, whatever you want to call it, like being able to take those like normal mechanics from games, yeah, and and find a way to make them feel like natural to like real human beings being stuck in the game, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah, this, yeah. this this cooking idea, right? It makes sense. I, I find it a little annoying you have to be like a cook class or have that ability in some regard or have somebody with a cook class to teach you because it's like you are your real self. So if I was a cook in real life, but I decided to play as like a tank, I should still be able to cook. I noticed that because if you remember in the game when they were explaining that for the first time or in Log Resin they were explaining that yeah, for the, the first game. time. <laughs> the game. Yeah, you know the game. Uh, the game called uh, Elden Tale which is interesting, I think that's yeah, what it's yeah. called. Elden Ring just came out, so there's a bit of correlation there. But uh, when Yanto was basically telling him how, and they said, we tried doing what you just said, but they just like stuck the ingredients on a skewer, <sighs> immediately put it down, and it turned into mush because their level wasn't high enough. I feel like I hear what you're saying because like any fucking bloke could just like, yeah, I, I don't like that at all. I they thought that just, was stupid. I thought that what they should have done is basic shit should be accessible to all but then elevated stuff and like it'll slowly build your let's just say your your like experience in that specific skill it's like good old runescape you cook more you cook more you get but it'd be cool then like you unlock the ability for your like recipes to go up right right right. without like them like you, you know there's no system announcement oh you've unlocked a new recipe but like once your bar of whatever goes up to like certain levels it would have been interesting to use that as like another mechanic that has changed. I, I think it would have been cool if they, if you, either your cooking ability goes up and you intuitively learn new recipes, or if you don't have the cooking ability but find a recipe, then you could cook that one specific thing. Or if you were like a three-star Michelin chef in real life, you should you should instantly be able to do everything you could have done in real life. Now hold on now. I don't know if I quite agree with that because this is all about the characters that these people in this MMORPG, it's role playing. Right. We, we I saw... know that, but like it, it's weird. I think it would be important to, to find some way to like corollary your real life skills into the game. Yeah. I, I always like, like games like, or I guess shows like that where they bring, you know, pieces of the puzzle of like what you're really like into the game. Yeah, I, I feel like I, I hear your frustration on that because, like, if you were a three-star Michelin chef playing a fucking bar, uh, a Guardian tank, right, and then suddenly this happens and you're stuck in the game, your ability to cook, Does you know, it shouldn't go away, you. right? You're you're a human in this game, right? Yeah. Just because your character doesn't have a cooking ability of five billion like you do in real life 
doesn't mean you shouldn't be precluded from being able to do that in the game if you have the right ingredients. Right. right? So I hear you. And like that's actually that's actually a good point. And one of the things about this game is that like you're kind of locked into whatever you were at the moment. And we kind of caught a couple bits of that is that if, you know, I think that a a couple hundred thousand people were stuck in the game overall. So people that just weren't logged in on that specific time, they're good. They're out like not a big deal. So I found that interesting that like. You know, you're really kind of locked into whatever character you were. What if you had a shit build or a shit loadout, then you're just kind of stuck like that. Or know? like if you had multiple characters and you're just playing like a weird one. of your one. Smurf accounts, yeah. and you're just like screwed. <laughs> you're just smurfing. I didn't even think about it. I was smurfing just to get the easy dubs. Like, that's interesting. Um, that's funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, that does come into play a little bit later on in the season. Yeah. Seasons, no, so, which yeah, is yeah. interesting. Later. Um, But I don't know. I, I did want to like, let's start just going into certain mechanics after cooking that were interesting. Sure. I thought the, like, death and respawn... Let's talk about that. ...situation was very, very interesting. Yeah, so basically, in this world, you when you die, you get respawned at the cathedral. Again, very rude. you die, you die in real life. (laughs) You die in the game, you die for reals. (laughs) If you die here, it's kind of like RuneScape. You spawn at a certain spot again, right? Or a lot of of MMORPGs have that, yeah. Um, This one's called the cathedral, and you, uh, you spawn back at an altar. But there are some different elements that we learned from a guy named Reagan later that have a little bit more implication to this death and revival system than we thought. That, you know, experience points kind of act as memory slots in your own brain. So as you gain experience points, you're kind of like slotting out memory. So when you die and revive, you are losing memory of the other world because you've lost what you've done. So it's just vacant space in your brain. And I found that it's like, whoa, that's actually quite interesting because that makes a lot of sense, right? You you can only take in so much, and if you need to take in more, like a game linear system, you're gonna slot out other shit for this. And I'm like, that's quite curious. I love that. But it's a really good mechanism to make sure that like people in this game aren't NVLing. Like if you're not yeah. valuing your life at all, yeah, then like you're just gonna throw away your your memories outside of the game. But I think it's very interesting, at least with our, like our main crew, like they don't really deal with death too often compared to like the certain guilds that go out and just do a lot of like raiding and stuff like that. The one time they do it, it, it was like again another mechanic bending shit. It, right. Really, yeah. So I, I hear, yeah, they, they don't really have to deal with this shit very much. Well, like they aren't PKers, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. There and you go. so you know, it, it's just like it's one of those other situations where like people have to all realize like this game has changed like pks mean more now than they used to yeah it's not like oh i'm just gonna kill you steal your gear and then like you know you'll start over and be fine it was it's interesting you said that with pks matter more like while they also do they're uh i think shiro said to the council when he was creating the rules that imprisonment and kidnapping are much higher crimes in this world than murder very fascinating that he's basically saying because death isn't necessarily the end in this world a crime that takes away freedoms of an individual but doesn't kill them is a much higher crime and that was really really potent i love that idea that murder in this world is of the the capitalist some of the capitalist of crimes but now when if you kill somebody they just spawn and they may lose some memory and experience points we now know this by the end of season one 
kidnapping and imprisonment, denying them death, but denying them freedom as well, that is the truest crime, the capitalist crime in this world. And I love that he recognized that because I didn't. I was thinking like, oh, fuck, he's so right. Yeah, but I mean, it becomes like a really big plot point where a lot of like higher level players start harvesting essentially low level players. They had like a game mechanic to where they got like boosted XP like pills or whatever. Love this as well. Like early on in their, like I guess between level zero and 25 or whatever, they would like receive daily allotments of these like XP boosts essentially. Yeah. So what they were doing was, I think it was like under level 30, you get what's called an XP, uh, XP pot where it's like a potion you can drink and once a day your attacks hit harder, your mana recharges faster, but you get double XP. And there are certain guilds because there was a new patch in the game right before this apocalypse isekai shit happened that the level cap went from 90 to 100. So now there's a bunch of guilds that used to be all have players with level cap try to like chug up and these they would capture low level people use their daily spawn, force them to give it over to the 90 players so they could level up super heavy. And I got to ask you, personally, if you were a guild leader in a game, would you be against this kind of strategy or for it? In a game, not real life, but in a game. Would you be for that kind of strategy? You're a guild master in that game. I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to ruin other people's experience in the game. Like okay, as like fair. not an asshole. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I think that'd be my main concern. I think I would probably tweak it to. It in- would. I think it'd be different if the game had like more, more a crisis early on. I think if it was like a situation where like there's this big raid we need to do where the game ends, like probably you would start harvesting these like low level dweeb players like abilities to stuff. give their to give their yeah their but that would be pods. like almost like a necessity thing and then when that that thing has the, the crisis has passed you would then try to do your best to like xp share essentially with them right what i would do like you, like you kind of touched on just that i would incentivize their involvement in my guild right the low level we got like c and b rank shit for you over here to do but if you choose to give up your xp pot to a level 90 player for that day We'll, like, deck you out in plus two swords and plus two shields, right? We must have good shit on deck for you to have to get you to help you to level up. I would just put them in my party and then go beat some big-ass baddie. And then XP share, baby. Yeah, double like, XP, um, right? Yeah. It's like uh, Borderlands. Yes. You used to play. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah. if someone that you were playing with had, like, a really low-level character... I could just like take y'all with me and then just absolutely beef me up. Yeah. yeah. Well, like you would die over and over again, but you would just get ridiculous levels. And then like I did this actually with Seth in college. My yeah. I had like a level 50 or whatever the max level character it's like was. 80. Yeah. And we just like went to hard areas. He was level 1. He got literally to like level 70 in in like two hours three hours. Holy shit. Exactly right there, right? Bring them along, keep them alive, just get them like at the end, and then just get all that sweet level 90 XP. Right, exactly. Yeah, So they're, and while they're having it, they got double down. Imagine double 90 XP for a level 1 player. Holy I, shit. I snacks. don't know. I think that would have been a cool mechanic to add into the show. For sure. Absolutely. But yeah, still a really... It's, a, it's a nefarious exploit, but again, an exploit of the mechanics that are very cool and potent. I love that. 
I um, mean, there's also there's assholes that play games. Like it's not surprising whatsoever that there was like people that were willing to exploit it literally instantly. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Well, like, every there's game. no admins, right? So like, yeah. nobody's gonna get banned. Yeah. And I mean, it, these exploits kept going because like Shiro kind of understand the implication of these exploits with the cooking thing. He didn't see it just as, oh, you as a chef with your own hands can cook sweet food. He said anyone in any class with the right level doing something with their own hands can do stuff that wasn't originally in the game. And that was potent as hell because him as a scribe made a simple contract because he had a high scribe level and tried to make a contract and it, and he's like okay this is viable there's a character later uh Rundel Haas I think his name was um Rundel House Code Rundel House Code and he he was I thought he was an adventurer but he was actually a people of the land aka an NPC died at the hands of monsters in a battle then Shiro comes in with a contract that he wrote because of his scribe level, but made something that wasn't in the game originally. A contract to make Rund Haas Code, or whatever his name was. Rund Hell Haas Code? Or <laughs> Rundel House. Rundel House Code. Yeah. <laughs> make him part of his guild log horizon. And in doing so, made an NPC an adventurer. What a wild concept. Like, literally made him into an NPC to a PC. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... it's a- I think really this is the main I think big shift from the game. Yeah. Um mechanics is that now NPCs have like their individual lives. And this is like I, I was going to talk about this with the Ripple System book series. Sure. Yeah. It's like yeah. all the NPCs like are real people yeah. and that they all have like a very highly intelligent AI that like gives them a full life. Right. So like they'll notice things, they'll like they'll remember you. You know, things like that, right? And so this people of the land for Log Horizon, yeah, they start to, like, resent the the actual players, the adventurers, adventurers for not, like, essentially, um, like, in the past, obviously, as as NPC, they were, like, forced to give out quests. Well, now they're like, fuck you. I'm not going to give you quests. You have to hold up your end of the bargain and, like, protect the world that you live in now. And, and there are two big ways that they're, that the implications of that change is the, the smaller but noticeable one is that uh, the concept of the magic bag. Kind of if you're a and d people, it's the bag of holding. You can hold 500 pounds of shit in a tiny satchel. But that was a basic item gotten from a basic quest that everyone did at the beginning because an NPC would come to you. Now the NPCs are are basically they're uh, living their own lives. Everything but sentient, like they're basically sentient, right? And they're not coming to you to complete this quest or ask you to complete it. And so you, as a new, any new player that got caught in the apocalypse, just is basically fucked and not be able to get a magic bag, which is very interesting. And this is a very key element of being good at the game. So the quest system is entirely broken. And we see later with the second one where there is a pretty common quest of quelling a goblin uprising. And without that quest being asked over and over with new adventurers, the Goblin King has amassed an army because it's built up so that the lack of an NPC driven quest system because of the sentience of that NPC of those NPCs no longer caring about the needs of the adventurers and living their own lives, the Goblin King and all those things, the quests were quelling 
are now rising up. And that is so fucking cool. It's so cool. Right. It's like it's like a um well just analogy back to that book series. The oh, ripples. Get off it. I'm just kidding. No, the ripples you know, good, yeah. are like when when players just make big changes to the world. Yeah. The ripple will will show across the entire land. Everyone will hear about the ripple, and then it'll like change something about the game. Ooh. So like for instance, you could like destroy an entire co- continent and then nobody would ever be able to go to the continent again you know titanic ripple yeah. emerged or like a huge corporate entity that you could have had quest at was taken down by one individual yes. and it's just gone 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 right and wow. then so like I, I just i'm bringing this up because it's very similar to what this sh- this show did where like, like having not done the the let's just say pruning of this goblin army unfortunately caused this big big time issue yeah. that caused all the guilds to have to come together but it's just a, it's another mechanic i think to show that we we are still thinking of this as a game and unfortunately we got to like we got to remember all the quests we used to do and like what their potential like tack tack on effects were gone knockdown effects gone and like realize we got to do these things because we are inhabitants of the land, not because you're asked to do it right. by an NPC. And so it's it's yeah. kind of this like these new super intelligent AIs are like you know fuck you guys, we've been paying you for years to do these things. We're off the rails now. You know, Just do it because you're here too. Right, you're like, in the same. We're sharing this land. You yeah. have to help us, kind of thing. And it's kind of this this interesting political um, struggle as well between like adventurers and the people of the land because there's like. I think I can't remember the numbers, but they said there's like you know billions of people of the land, and there's only like a hundred thousand adventurers or something like yeah, that. I think, I think they said in Hakiabara alone, Akiabara, there's six thousand in guilds, nine thousand outside of guilds, and that's just the adventurers, and hundreds of thousands just in that city of people of the land. So right. they're outnumbered like ten to one. Right, and so it's like there. extremely important to realize that these like political. Uh, actors and situations are much more important than they used to be because now these people of the land have like their own agendas entirely. Yeah. And you see that late in season one where they just like start fucking with adventurer businesses like intentionally to mess with them. There's like wholesale collusion in the city of Akihabara. There's just like literally they're scheming against them and they're like, wait a minute, they can do this now. We And it's about a perception shift like you said. The adventurers need to realize that there is no longer adventurers and people of the land. It's just all of us in the world right now. And I love every bit of that because the other thing I noticed with the people of the land is that they they had their own city-states prior, right? There's already that. And I wanted to ask you one question, uh, kind of to not wrap it up, but just kind of where I was thinking at the end, where like... It hit me all at once that Reagan, that magi- that sorcerer, was educating Shiro on the world-class magic of World Fraction. And there are three instances where this particular spell was used. One, when, they, when the species or like the clans of humans, elves, and dwarves took out the alves, A-U-V, or A-L-V, not E-L-F. Yeah, alves and elves. When they when they kind of took over the Alve civilization for their technology, the remaining ones cast the first World Fraction spell, and it caused the demi-humans to automatically respawn all the time. Interesting. They gave lore 
to a game mechanic like lore before anyone showed up. The second one was to combat all of that. The second world fraction spell was to bring adventures into the world, a.k.a. when the game went live. Right. And the third was when the apocalypse happened to keep the adventures around and not able to log off. Now, I ask you, Ethan, does that imply that the game was sentient in some capacity before its conception in our world or in the world that, you know, Shiro actually lives in, in Japan, right? Because the implication there is that the history was long before that happened. I think it's it's really just like a... Is there just lore for lore's sake? It's like a back backstory that the developers made in like... Read the Ripple system book is all I can say. Uh, so, this is okay, literally okay. like that. Okay, because I was going to say, the third use of that same spell that has lore implication caused a supernatural event, a magical event. So if the first two did happen and that was just part of the game, then the third one did happen and it caused something to actually happen, something supernatural, is the implication that this world that was coded up or developed or existed before the coding happened, always there. I wonder. Maybe season two will tell more. But I don't know. I, don't <laughs> I know. think you do know. Yeah, um, I, do, I do know, but I'm just <laughs> giving them a little bit of sauce. No, I don't know. I, I think it's 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 an interesting like idea, but like I think it's important to think about the fact that people of the land now are unbound, but previously were bound. Yes. So it makes yeah. it not likely that it existed pre-adventurers, right? That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Yeah, because now the the unbounding, the world fraction, maybe had a hand in that, but... Um, well, I mean, like you said, they got rid of the Alves, and he's like half-elf or something like that, because yeah. he was like an early, early player. Yeah. And there's also, like, I know later on in the show, there's like very early events yeah. that happened that like they took out of the game by the time a lot of our our characters showed up. Yeah. Right. It's just kind of like a like early beta type stuff, right? Um, that's probably what it was. Is like the beta system. And and remember, they said like the beta was on the moon. Is this season two or one? That's um, that's two. Okay. I think the beta is on the. Are moon. you sure? Because I they died so. in season one, and then they're like. I don't think they died in season one. They never respawned in season one. Uh, the only one that really died in season one was uh, you know. Rundle Haas code. They never died in season one. Uh, Locked Horizon. Yeah, I don't think they ever died in season one. Okay, wow. Okay, well, yeah, I don't think they ever died in season one. Um, then I take it back. But for now, you'll find out. In, you'll find out in our episode <laughs> the season installment. two. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I just wanted to I wanted to speak on two things before I gave it a score. Was one animation pretty solid. For 2013. For like, 2013, yeah. it was great. When it when it mattered, it mattered, and it worked. But the show is not about that. Character designs are cool. Uh, it's it's your standard. If you like D&D, this is that. Like This is like a, a very well-realized and animated D&D campaign. Straight up. That's, that's all I'm going to say with that. But the, the other part about it with Shiro and the way that we talked about a bunch of like mechanic-bending stuff in this, but it's the way he played on that in this world. That is an absolute highlight for me. Example. We found out that food tastes good when done this way. Okay. That, that in and of itself was pretty cool. Then she was like, how do we capitalize on this bitch? And he goes, 
galaxy fucking brain to utilize that. And I'm not even ruining all of the things he does in terms of strategy, but just in this one fact alone, he goes from learning that information to first to market, man. He's a first good to market. Man. Yeah. Requesting 5 million gold from a certain Crescent Moon Alliance Guild for his other actions to get everything kind of squared up. They, he tells them how they should do that. And they basically run a food stand with the only food that tastes in the entire right. land, just tastes. And then with that information now spread across the land, hires a bunch of merchant guilds to, or not hires, but brings them in to try to like bid war them into hiring them by the first one coming in a little bit early to negotiate a deal for getting ingredients for said things and then the other two bigger guilds coming in to then telling them we need x amount of gold for our plan will you help us if you do we'll give you our fucking recipes and how to do it leverage that one thing from just learning it to being an a not international player but a big player in the entire region in like a couple days right just Whoa, and it all felt natural, like that is a natural progression. And then once he told everyone his plan, he bought the the plan that he had for five million gold, he bought the guild building. The building that literally allows people to join, make, and and support guilds as a concept, along with the ability to use the bank. And he still owns it. Everyone agreed, and then he taxes everyone one gold every time they want to go in the building. Fucking brilliant. Yeah. Absolute gold platinum shit right there. So, and, and none of it but felt- But he like almost has to create this like welfare system to get people off the streets. Yeah. And like get people working again. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I just kind of view him like character-wise as like, such a early adopter fast mover on these like concepts that are apparently hard for people to understand which is like this is real now yeah like we better do stuff to like create some type of government some type of like ruling body yeah in order to like make these large scale changes and like you see it early on with the silver sword dweebs uh, they're like talking about joining the alliance, and they're like, "No, we want to go fucking raid." Yeah, we want to go raid. Let's do it. So, I mean, I I don't know. It's just the way everything about Shiro as a main character and MC and an isekai, it it doesn't go with the playbook. But everything about him feels completely natural. His accolades are well known, so any kind of character that hears about him is we know exactly why. His big brain plays are all validated from his history and all the baddies want him yeah all the baddies want him dude and like every bit of it feels justified none of it feels like oh this is another fucking isekai so again no it's it's something that i feel like it's almost like it's a power fantasy in a way i never expected it to be served up it's still a power fantasy but like for being a big brain G, it's it's a it's a wrinkle fantasy, right? This is a wrinkle fantasy. Man, I wish show. I was that smart. I wish I was that smart. So yeah, uh, I I have I have a score in my head, but I'm curious what you think. It is ninety three. Yeah, log horizons out of a hundred. I guess. Yeah, I was gonna do ninety big brain deals out of a hundred. I'm gonna give it a flat ninety. I think it definitely deserves ninety category. I know I got shit on for my dress up darling last week for 
86, but I mean, I mean disgusting, honestly. It's fine. I, I I stand by that score. That means it's excellent and nearly legendary. So <laughs> I don't fucking think whatever. That that's what an 86 is. I think it's what it is. Like 90s legendary, 86 is like beyond good. It's like almost a B minus. Well, we're not talking grades. We're talking weebology scale, and this yeah, one is I a guess. 90 for me because again, I've said this on the show the before. Lowest possible A. Shonen signing isekai these are genres i know very well so when i like i can justifiably give a 90 i don't know slice of life well enough to justifiably give something a 90 because i just don't know okay i don't have enough of that that's all i'm saying i don't have the back okay, what isekai do you rate higher than this mishoku tensei <laughs> you, why did you why did you ask me that and expect slime maybe a little higher it's such a fucking bad like it's not as good as this show i don't get it it's i would just not say beautiful i would say it edges out re-zero maybe slightly there, there i think re-zero is kind of living in that camp okay. and then it's like slime might just cap it out and then mishoku tensei up top of that <laughs> sorry i don't know what you want from me it's, that's know. how it is that's how it is i honestly thought you forgot about the show hopefully never never i don't get it it's like everybody loves the fucking show it's like so middling it's unreal show us it's good show us just like come to our side i will never all right (laughs) never never ever but thank you for joining us on this episode of the apology podcast this show if you if you're into the crunchy like D &D stuff like roll for initiative shit this is a hundred percent for you but this is this is a show that it's for a lot, but if you're not in it, there's exposition dumps, there's world building at, you know, I mean, if you don't like center. mechanics of like magic systems, you won't like this. Right. Like if you're a power scaler, this isn't for you. But I mean, I think it's for most, but not all. But That's if you're all. like, if you're like very well versed in like typical fantasy novels and stuff like this, this you'll, is... you'll be down to clown because yeah. it follows like very closely. Like I mentioned a bajillion times. Like those very like hardcore like lit RPGs or like uh, hardcore fantasies, like somebody like Brandon Sanderson who like really digs into to um, magic systems. Like, right. This is the type of show that people who enjoy that kind of shit would enjoy. If you like to pull a thread and not let go, Log Horizon yeah. is there for you. So thank you very much for coming to class. Links are in the description. Anywhere you get your pot of cat fix, you're already here. Go go ahead and go listen to the backlog. Why not? Yeah. Um, yeah. Li- or Listen, if you're listening to this uh, right now and you notice there's one above it, go listen to that because we're about to do a part two. We're not going to leave. We're going to sit here and record the next one yes. right here. So, uh, yeah, we're back on the YouTube game. Like, comment, and subscribe where you do the things. If you want to give us a monetary level only if you can, patreon.com slash upology. $1 and up gets you into the Discord with all of the Patreon lovely folk and all of our past guests. So if you listen to an episode where we had guests on, they're in there. You can go chat with them. Say hi. Give them a tag. They'll say hi back. Uh, hopefully guests do that uh i totally kind of set you up on that one uh three dollars and up gets you the syllabus sidebar which we're back on the lo-fi high vibe sometimes audio sometimes on hiatus sometimes anime sometimes visual show <laughs> where we do well, you know talk about life and shit and other experimental things and um we uh we had a really banger one this past week yeah uh, I think that, was really, that was a really fun one so uh yeah you're welcome i'm always thinking always thinking always thinking so go check out that um Try to think of anything else. Uh, Instagram and Twitter, we use it sometimes. Go hit us up there. Um, Webologypodcast.gmail.com. If you message us across any of these platforms, yeah. we will see it. I more than likely will see it. The only one I'm not sure about is Twitter. Yeah. So I'm 90% sure I have like 400 uh, notifications. 
holy shit. I don't know if they're actually like messages though. We probably need to check that out. Uh, I mean, well, until we dig through the Twitter <laughs> inbox and notifications, I'm Ricky. And I'm Ethan. And this is No Ebology. Deuces. Deuces. Wait, have we really have 400 on there? It's, I think it's like the dumb algorithm where be like, <laughs> I think you like this stuff. Oh, God. Okay, no. never mind. Never mind. But it's like impossible to stop that. Fuck that.